So as we look in your word this morning, God, give us eyes to hear and ears to hear from your Holy Spirit, and uh, help us to see and understand what you're telling us, and give us the grace and the courage and the power to make a change as we walk and follow you. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Uh, the topic I want to talk about this morning to start with is just mealtime prayers. I don't know if any of you grew up in homes where they prayed around the table. I did. Um, not everybody did, but I remember uh, we had a, uh, a prescribed prayer before the meal that was kind of a little poem that was kind of cheesy. Almost embarrassed to repeat it, so I won't. Anyway. But my dad would often pray after the meal. I was one of five boys, so you can imagine five boys around the table. Really didn't want to sit around and listen to dad read the Bible and pray. Um, and his prayers could get kind of long. He, would, he prayed for us. I remember he would pray for us specifically about our spiritual lives, which I really appreciate. But he'd pray for missionaries. He'd pray for us. And after a while, when you're a 12-year-old boy or whatever, you're like, can this prayer just be over? You know, I'm just I'm, I'm ready to go or whatever. But, but, you know, you've all been around. I'm, recently, I was somewhere where somebody prayed before a meal, and it felt like they were praying a, a sermon. I was like, please, just be done. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not against praying, but I think long prayers. But anyway, there was a really long prayer at a meal that Jesus prayed that was anything but that. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, prayer of Jesus. And it happened the night he was betrayed. So go to this next picture. Maybe not quite as bright as I wish it was, but it's the, the Last Supper. I mean, there's all kinds of paintings about the Last Supper. This actually image comes from the movie The Passion, which I think looks a little more realistic. But Jesus was sitting around with his disciples uh, the night he was betrayed. And so... Um, John chapter 13 to 17 kind of describes this whole event. So it was Passover, so they had the Passover meal. Uh, you might remember Jesus had washed their feet. He washed everybody's feet, including Judas. I always remind people when Judas was there, he washed his feet. Jesus is teaching them. So they've eaten, and he's kind of giving a talk. And they knew him well enough. They weren't bored by what he was saying. I'm sure none of them thought, I wish he gets done, gets done so we can go outside and do they were listening because there was an intensity about his voice, I'm sure, because he knew what was going to be happening. There was an intensity about it, and he was saying everything he wanted to remind them. To say. He was talking about uh, what it meant to follow him. He was, it was kind of a discourse. But again, it was around the table. So they were all around the table, and in, in, the, in the Jewish culture, they, kind of leaned, they didn't have chairs. They kind of reclined at the table on the floor. But they're listening, and Jesus is talking to them. He's talking about... He's even talking about his upcoming death. He's talking about somebody who's going to betray him. And they, the disciples didn't know what he was... The Bible even says they didn't know what he meant. But he's talking about all these things. He even tells them, one of you is going to betray me. And then Judas gets up and, gets up and leaves at that moment. And so the disciples still didn't make... They weren't connecting the dots. And we wouldn't have either if we'd have been there. We, sometimes we don't connect the dots when Jesus is saying things. So this, this has been an evening where he's washed their feet. They've had the Sabbath or the Passover meal. Jesus has talked about things. Judas had just got up and left. And so they, they've been there a while, and they've, and they, but they're attentive because Jesus is, there's something I'm sure they thought was different about him that night. But then starting with John 17, that whole chapter, essentially Jesus praying. Um, I mentioned this oh, a number of weeks ago in a different context, but... So John 17, go to the next slide. Uh, so yeah, so I have this up here, and uh, you, might, you might remember that I said that somebody told me maybe a year ago or so that when everything else 
uh, gets challenging for the church and persecution or hard times or whatever, the two things that are most important, remember that is how do we learn to pray like Jesus? How do we honor the Holy Spirit? What songs we sing, what kind of chairs we sit in, what kind of carpet a church has is really immaterial. In the end, doing these two things well is going to define who a church is and who we are. All right. So um, from this passage, we're going to spend just the next, oh, maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks, seeing how Jesus prayed and what, how, does we, how do we pray like that? Because if he prayed for his disciples in this way, and we're going to look at one way today he prayed for them, then I'm going to encourage you to pray for each other, your spouses, your kids, your friends. But uh, learning to pray like Jesus perhaps is one of the most important things we can learn how to do, all right? So now I go to the next slide. This is his whole prayer. I know you can't read it. I just want to put the whole thing up there. This is John 17. This is his prayer. We're going to be doing the yellow part. So I'm just telling you in the context. And again, it was a, it was a longish prayer. But I, I can't imagine the disciples were bored or falling asleep. Because there was an, surely an intensity about it. So Jesus had been talking. And then it said, and then at this point he stopped. And he looked up and he prayed. So in the Jewish culture, they would always pray. They'd pray like this. You know, he would look up and pray. And we don't know if they closed their eyes. We don't think they folded their hands. Um, we don't know if when Jesus was praying, if the disciples had their eyes open. We don't know. We just know there's a sense they would, you know. So at the beginning of John 17, um, Jesus begins to pray. So again, it's like this is how Jesus is praying for his disciples. I think it's good for us to see how he prayed for them. So how do we pray for one another, all right? And we're just going to come to... Uh, we're going to jump in in the middle of the prayer on the yellow part, so go straight to the next slide. Um, this is, I'm going to have two different parts of this prayer we're going to look at, but this is one of the things he's praying. So he's praying, they're all sitting around, they've had full stomachs, their feet have been washed, Judas had left, um, and they know there's an intensity about Jesus, but he's praying, and he's praying for them. He's praying for Peter and Bartholomew and Matthew and James and John and Thaddeus. They're all there. He's praying for them, all right? He says, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me. These guys are on the table with me. Because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in the world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Next slide. Now protect them by the power of your name. All right, if you have your little cards here, I put them on the middle of the table. There's going to be two points of this sermon. They're both on here. The first one is this prayer, protect them by the power of your name. He's praying this for these disciples, and I'm sure he was thinking of others who also were his followers, just weren't at the meal. Protect them by the power of your name, all right? So that's the part that uh, he's saying, God, protect them. So, um, here's my question when I read this passage. So, let's see, you know, like Kensix might pray for Soren, God protect him by the power of your name. I might pray for my kids, protect them by the power of your name. You might pray for your husband, your wife. Protection from what? What's Jesus mean? What, what are they being protected from? I mean, it's obviously really important to him. Protect them by the power of your name so they will be united just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. 
So this word of idea of protection is a big deal here. I guarded them so that no one, not one was lost, except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Judas had already left. They still weren't connecting the dots here. But Jesus said, protect them, God, after I leave. I, I protected them. So again, the question that, that is, needs to be answered is, what are we being protected from? So this word protect, um, in other translations, the word is translated keep. Like, I keep them by the power of your name. And Jesus says, I kept them. During my time here, I kept them by the power of your name. So this idea of keeping, Jesus uses the exact same word when he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Father, I've taught them how to keep your commandments. If you want to be my followers, keep my commandments. So this idea of keeping and protecting is not so much of, you know, on guard, and, but it's a sense of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch, I'm going to protect. I mean, those of you who are parents, I mean, I'll just, Heather and John are right here. They, you keep your kids by that, and you make sure they're safe. You make sure they're fed and have clothes, but I'm sure there's ways that you keep them in terms of what goes, what influences their life spiritually. That's part of your keeping of them. That's part of your protecting of them because you want to make sure, all of us who are parents, we want to make sure that our kids and ourselves and our friends, we want to make sure we stay within relationship with Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying here. God, protect them. Keep them close to you. And what's interesting is he says, protect them by the power of your name. Why? So they'll be united just as we are. So my assumption there is, and I think it's a pretty good assumption, is if they're not protected, what happens is relational havoc. Because if they're protected, they're united. United as followers of Jesus. You might say united in your marriage. You might say united with your friends. But someone who is protected by the power of the name of Jesus in their lives is a relationally whole person. So if somebody's not protected, if, if, if God doesn't protect us, then certain things start coming into my heart. I start believing certain lies. I start believing certain lies about myself, about other people. Um, Jesus is talking often about forgiving those who've hurt you. So when I pray, if I were to pray for my son David, God, protect him by the power of your name. I'm, protect, I'm asking God to give him a, him a forgiving spirit. If you're praying for your kids, that God would protect them, or praying for your friends, you're also praying that they would learn the ways of Jesus. They would, they would be generous with their money. They'd be merciful toward other people. In other words, do the things Jesus said for them to do and not believe the lies of Satan that tells them to do otherwise. So the protection here is, is, is more of kind of protect them from all the ways that the world and everybody else will try to draw them different directions. But Jesus felt pretty intense about this. Keep them close to you in your name. Keep them close to you, Jesus. Protect them by the power. So there is a sense of being on guard and kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm responsible to make sure things that shouldn't come into my life or the lives of those I care for or have responsibility for, I'm responsible to make sure that, you know, I don't, I don't want them to get sick. I don't want them to eat bad food. But Jesus is talking here more about keep them connected to you, God. Keep their hearts soft. Keep their hearts pure. 
So protect them uh, by the power of your name. All right. Now, go on. Now I'm coming to you. He's still praying. He's still doing this. The disciples. So he had just prayed. They were there, and he said, protect them. Protect them. And he knew the greatest, I'm finishing on the greatest threat to their future would be disunity and relational brokenness. That's why he says, protect them by the power of your name. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they don't belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. In other words, Jesus is not, his, his, his objective for my life or your life is not to take you out of hard situation and put you into some kind of spiritual nirvana where nothing harms you. There's no bad things happen to you. There's no, uh, no potholes, no flat tires, no broken water heaters, no deaths, no sadness. He's, he's, he's obviously not asking God to do that. He's, we don't follow Jesus because he removes pain from our lives. It's just because we deal with pain in a whole different way. All right? So I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. That's my second thing on here. So he says, God, protect them by the power of your name. But he says, keep them safe from the evil one. So the protecting part, the first part, was more about protect them from all the things in their hearts that are going to turn them against you, God, or have them disregard what you say to live a healthy life, the commandments, um, following you. But this, this, this part of his prayer, keeping them safe from the evil one, is, uh, seems that there's a, whole different, there's a different kind of dimension here. Evil one, the Bible translates evil one, sometimes it just says evil, but the sense is Jesus was most likely referring to the ways in which Satan can tempt us. Which um, you might remember in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. When Jesus said, pray this way, deliver us from evil. So that was in his model prayer for the disciples. But he also includes this here. God, keep them safe from the evil one. Um, there's, there's many times where Jesus, remember, you remember the time where Peter was telling Jesus, Jesus said, uh, I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected. I want to be, and all this, uh, all about his death. And Peter kind of, said, no, this will never happen to you. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get you behind me, Satan. Because it, it was Satan that was telling Peter, there's a simpler way to fullness of life, and it doesn't have to involve suffering or pain. So when Jesus says to God, keep them safe from the evil one, he's saying keep them safe from the way, and I think Paul talks about the fiery darts of the evil one, the ways that Satan tries to tempt us, discourage us, deceive us, defeat us, destroy us. Um, we have to make a decision that either I live in a world where there's war going on around me, and I don't mean physical war, but spiritual warfare. I live in a world where if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a target of Satan. Or that's not real. And I just need to kind of live a hallmark kind of following Jesus' life, and all will be well. So you can, and I'm not saying we have to be morbid about this, but either we live in a world where we are targets of the evil one, or we don't. If we don't, then it's just a matter of, you know, 
be a good person, be nice, be kind, live a good life, and all will be well. If we do, Jesus' promise for us is not only protection, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We're told that greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. And Satan will, will find ways to try to deceive you, discourage you, destroy you. He will. And none of us are exempt from that. Even if you want to pretend it's not real, pretending it's not real doesn't make it not real. So I can be, um, you know, the Bible even says that Satan prowls around like a lion looking to devour us. And Paul even talks about the schemes of Satan in our lives. So I'm, you might say, and I thought this this week, this isn't a, Maybe the greatest New Year's message, you know, be positive, think good and stuff. But the only way to, Jesus talks about, I'm going to fill them with my joy. But understanding joy and the fullness of joy and the fullness of the light God has in us has to be somehow coupled with the reality that we are in a battle and Satan will try to deceive us. And sometimes the discouragement you feel or I feel it might just be life, but sometimes there's something else going on, and we need to learn to recognize that. But Jesus' prayer is, God, keep them safe. So if it's a spiritual reality attacking us, there needs to be spiritual weapons. Paul even says we fight with the weapons of prayer. We don't fight with the weapons of the world. There's ways we have to protect ourselves and pray for that kind of safety. And Jesus prays for that. So then, you know, so... Aaron and Sadie might pray for Knox, and I'm not saying this is just praying for kids, but praying for people in general. God, keep her safe from the evil one. Because even a young child at a young age, we don't know what our kids understand. We don't even know what our kids deal with spiritually. But they're not, how old is Knox now? Two. Whether she's two or whether somebody's five or 15 or 59 like me, there are spiritual realities going on, and there's a spirit in that person. And Satan's primary objective is to derail them from the delightful love of God that brings them joy in their lives. So he says, keep them safe from the evil one. Protect them by the power of your name. Keep them safe from the evil one. So and I, I printed these off, not just so you could follow me today, but I'm just going to encourage you. I'm, I'm really big into short phrases for prayer. Um, a couple years ago, you might remember I challenged you to pray for people. God, fill them with the Holy Spirit. But maybe this week, just think of people, your fr family, your friends, and protect them by the power of your name. God, keep them safe from the evil one. I mean, it's not wrong to say, you know, God bless us, help us have a good day. Those are, those are prayers that are meaningful to God. But there are times where it's really good to learn to pray like Jesus prayed. And if he prayed for his disciples, protect them. Protect them from all the ways in which their heart will lead them astray. But also keep them safe from the evil one. All the ways in which Satan will try to discourage and deceive them, destroy them, derail them, whatever. And when I pray for that, I, this week I was praying for somebody. This well, I was actually praying for a, one, another pastor I know in town. And I was praying that God would keep them safe from the evil one. Because I knew what they were going through in their life. And I, I don't know what Satan was trying to do to them, but I know Satan, in times of hardship, grief, or whatever, Satan always looks for the hole 
he looks for the soft spot to bring in a lie or some kind of discouragement. So I thought, well, I'm going to pray for this person that God would keep them safe in the evil one because I don't know what Satan's doing. Satan can take something and twist it. So I'm just going to encourage you to pray for people with those phrases this week. Protect them and keep them safe. And I don't think, uh, I said this before, yes, we need to be safe from coronavirus and those kind of things like that. Jesus' primary objective, his primary prayer is our spiritual safety and our spiritual protection. That matters to him immensely because he knows that's the source and the heart of your joy. He knows that. Satan is the, Satan is the thief of joy. Satan is the destroyer of joy. And any time when your joy is being threatened, you have to start wondering what else is going on in the spiritual world. I'm not trying to get you to be afraid, like hide, let's hide from Satan, but if Jesus prays for us in that way, there must be some pretty much a lot of power going on there. So I'll finish with this, though. Um, I, I've, I've talked about you praying for your children or for your friends or spouses or even parents. You can, my mom's almost 85. I can pray for her. God, keep her safe from the evil one, because even at 85, there might be lies she starts believing or ways she's discouraged that's somehow in, initiated by Satan's influence in her life or whatever. But I wonder, I wanted to bring it back to this, though, because this is in Romans where Paul says, Christ died for us, and says we lead into communion, was raised for life. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And read those last three words with me. Pleading for us. He's praying for you this way. I'm not just saying this is a good way for you to pray for your family, your spouses, your kids, your parents. But Jesus prays for you this way. He prayed for his disciples this way. I'm sure he hasn't changed course. For all we know, he may be just repeating John 17 over and over and over, over all of our lives. He may be, you know, God, protect Stephanie by the power of your name. Keep Mike and Tara safe from the evil one. Jesus sees things that are happening in our life. He knows what's happening in our lives. He knows exactly what we need. So I want to encourage you that because, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, what the Bible tells us, and what's he doing? He's not just sitting there brushing off his robe and shining his crown. He prays for us. Pleads for us. It's not, it's not fancy King James prayers. He's very energetically, intensely, passionately praying for each one of us. So I don't know, and I said this before, I don't know what all is going on in all of your lives. If, if, we're, and if we're honest, we don't really know what's going on in our lives. But we do know that amidst all the spiritual warfare that the Bible tells us is a reality for the lives that follow Jesus, we also know Jesus is praying for you pleading for us early on in romans 8 we're actually told the holy spirit is praying for us we have a team praying for us for your spiritual protection protecting your heart from all the influences that will turn you to stray from jesus but also there god jesus is praying um, that you'll be safe from the evil one the Bible tells us the angels of the, God, the angels of the Lord surround those who fear him. So again, it's weird meter, a little spiritual, you know, the angel, but there's, there's protection that we have because Jesus is praying for us. There's protection we have because we pray for one another. 
So, of course, that night, Jesus was, he was betrayed. Later on that same evening, he was arrested. He was tortured. And he was wrongfully and painfully crucified. But the Bible tells us he was also raised to life. And because he's raised to life, he prays for us. He's sitting there right hand of God, he prays for us. So uh, go ahead and get your little communion cups out and the cellophane-wrapped wafers. And I'm going to pray, and then we'll take, and then Aaron will come up, and, and we'll sing a couple more songs. But let me pray. God, Jesus, we're, we're grateful. We're grateful for the ways you prayed for your own disciples a couple thousand years ago. That you prayed for Thaddeus and Peter, James, John. Philip, and you prayed knowing what they were about going to go into and what the next years and decades of their lives would bring, most of them painful realities, persecution and martyrdom, but also irrational joy, all of them. So God, in the same way, Jesus, because you gave yourself to death and resurrection, and you now, this very moment, you are pleading for everybody sitting in this room. You're praying for our protection. You're praying that we are guarded from the evil one. And this is because you're alive and you're on the throne. So Jesus, we're grateful. We are grateful for your death. We're awed at your resurrection. But we are profusely grateful that you pray for us by name. We don't understand how you know the millions and billions of people who follow you in this world but we all but we know you pray for us you know our story you pray for our protection and our safety and you are most passionate about our joy you're super passionate about us being full of your life and your joy so as we take this your body and your blood into us would we remember that you are most passionate about our joy you said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So as we take this wafer and juice into us, would we be open to the fullness of your life inside of us, the fullness of joy and a gratitude of your uh, protection over our hearts uh, from the evil one. And we're grateful, Jesus. We ask this all in your name. Amen.